You're listening to a sermon podcast from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. May God bless you as you listen. This last week I was listening to the radio and uh, in my car and the Retail uh, Council of Canada had conducted a survey in Canada on the average uh, of what people spent on Mother's Day at, on average. 51% said they spent $50 or less on a gift for Mother's Day. 30% said they spent $50 to $100 on a gift for Mother's Day. 10% said they spent $100 to $150, and 9% said they spent more than $150 on a gift for Mother's Day. They had some mums respond then afterwards to those percentages, and most of the mums said that they would be a bit disappointed if all they got was a Mother's Day card for Mother's Day. One mom said she expected a gift of at least $75, saying that anything less revealed that her kids really didn't appreciate her. (laughs) Just saying, though, my kids this morning already, first thing in the morning, got to my house. They brought flowers and chocolates. Aaron made Bonnie breakfast in bed. Jared read her poetry, and Amy gave her a foot rub and a pedicure. I got such great kids. The mums here are going, yeah, right. The kids in the crowd are going, oh, stink, and all I got my mum was a card. And the husbands, the dads are going, I never get that kind of treatment. (laughs) How much attention do you think you deserve on Mother's Day, mom? How much do you think you're worth? The reality is I think most mums will do a little assessment of their worth as mums based on the kind of attention that they get on Mother's Day. And that's probably fair. We all certainly need to appreciate our moms more, don't we? But don't we all struggle with our value as people and being accepted by the important people in our lives? And the data shows that females actually experience this burden even more than males do, especially in things like body image, beauty, career, motherhood, and relationships. And then we have the Instagram mom, and that doesn't help either, right? The feeling of not measuring up, as you heard one of the ladies in the video say, measuring up to people's expectations or society's acceptance of them probably hits women a lot harder than it does men. The University of Alberta reported that 40.7% of new moms experience some degree of postpartum depression. Most moms in their their study uh, reported feeling intense pressures to bounce back physically, sexually, emotionally, and career-wise. Many mothers confess feeling like society devalues motherhood, pressuring them, even feeling shame from their peers in snide little comments that they make for wanting to be a stay-at-home mom. Then there's the growing number of moms in our society, married and single moms, who feel the pressure to juggle parenthood and a job or a career because they're worried that they won't be able to provide enough support and care for their new bundles of joy. Because of these pressures, many moms, many women, not just mothers, criticize and worry about the parts of themselves that they don't like, that they don't think measure up, that are not accepted by the people in their life network or in society in general. We're in a series here in May called Ministering to Your Life Network. How, as a Christian, do you minister to people in your life network when you yourself don't feel very accepted or valued? 
This series is a bit of an introspective journey to understand a few things about you. Not just moms, but all of us. Because before you can minister to the people in your life network, you need to understand you a lot better, don't you? And how do you do that when you face these kinds of challenges? Let me briefly remind you and review what we've learned so far this last week. It's something that we have here at Lawson quite regularly. It's a picture, that picture right up there. You are surrounded, that's, that's you there, and in the center of your life is you. You're surrounded by all the different activities and relationships that make up your life network. And all of them are connected to each other because of you. Your life is family and friends and work and church and the greater world around you, even if it's at a distance, and your hobbies and interests. And all your life, you will spend a lot of time, probably more time than you'd like, and energy trying to figure out how to relate to all the different people there in your life network. Some of those relations will be happily satisfying. Others could be stressful. Some may even be hurtful. So how do you navigate all of that? How do you be a Christian in all of that? Well, that's the other relationship that we need to figure out too, right? Where is God in the life that you have? Well, that depends, really. That's the one relationship that isn't the same for everyone. As I said last week, some people don't want God in their life. They will even try to deny his existence. And then there's those who will try God. They're not sure if this relationship with God is for them. They're not sure if they want God in their life. They're especially not sure if they want him to be Lord of their life. But every once in a while, both the skeptic and the unconvinced will talk to God. They'll hope that maybe if he exists... He can help them in some of the areas, one of the areas in their life network, in an area that maybe they can't seem to work out for themselves, in their family, maybe at work, or maybe among their friends. The reality is sometimes even fully committed followers of Jesus, believers, respond to tough circumstances and relationships this way. But see, all that does is Add God to one of the already other activities and demands of your life. Let's face it, what that describes for us is a very self-centered approach to God. We want what we want in life, don't we? And we want God to want what we want, and we want God to help us get what we want out of the various activities and relationships that we have. But here's the rub. At some point in our journey as human beings... When wanting God to intervene, we will be confronted with the cross of Christ. It's there at the cross that we see that we have a self-centeredness problem. And that self-centeredness causes us to sin against God. And that sin separates us from our God. And the Bible says that that's a problem, but that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And it's not just a problem for today, it's our eternal problem. Our sin separates us from God forever. God will forever be on the outside. But that's where the cross and the resurrection of Jesus make all the difference. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, we have this charge. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When we acknowledge and we accept what Jesus did on the cross for us, that he took our place, paying the penalty for the sin we deserved, that he rose again from the grave to prove that he was the Lord of life, and if we declare him Lord of our life, then he changes something for us, not just for us, but in us. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 14 says, God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against you, and he took took it away by nailing it to the cross. That's an awesome gift, isn't it? But when you become a Christian, you get more than just your sins canceled. You get a new status before God. 1 John chapter 4, we related this one last week. Chapter 4, verses 13 to 21. I'll just do the first couple of verses. This is how we know that we live in him and he is in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. That's talking status. That's talking new relationship. Do you see the dynamic that happens when you become a Christian? When you declare Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, then God comes to indwell you. He comes to be in you by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says God lives in you and you in God. What that means then, looking at our diagram, is that God is no longer on the outside looking in. No longer is God an add-on to your life. When you declare Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life, God comes to indwell you forever. It is now Christ in you, which is your hope of glory. Forever. Your whole life is now wrapped up in him and he in you. And your new identity is Christ in you. Galatians 3, 26 to 27. So in Christ Jesus, you were all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. My mom is a bit of an interior designer. She has an old Eaton's catalog home in Beachy, Saskatchewan that she's renovated top to bottom. She converted one of the upstairs bedrooms into a dressing room, complete with, a shoe, with shoe shelves and, and clothes racks and a stool, a vintage dressmaker's mannequin, and a full-size dressing mirror. Well, shortly after buying the mirror, she thought, there's something wrong. At first, she didn't notice it. But after a while, when she would stare at her image in the mirror, magically, she looked 20 pounds lighter. It's not like a carnival house of mirrors kind of mirror that's all wonky. Somehow, the way the glass and the light in the room reflects the image back to you, it's true. It's not in a distorted kind of way. You just look thinner in a good way. Instead of taking it back to the store, she chose to keep it because she liked how it looked, how she looked in it, even though it wasn't a true image of her. You know, similarly, we have an image of ourselves. Some of us like our image, some of us don't. And usually we choose an image for ourselves based on the kind of acceptance that we gain from others when we portray ourselves a certain way. 
and we learn to pattern our lives after how we think others like to see us. Yeah? And this acceptance image is the pattern that we learn to live day in and day out. Unfortunately, no matter how good your relationship is with the people there in your life network, how how you see yourself reflected in their eyes will be distorted in some way. However, there is one relationship that will never distort who you really are. One relationship that knows your truest, most fulfilling identity. The trouble is, again, many people, even some Christians, keep this relationship on the outside of everything else. And as a result, they never gain a true, magnificent view of themselves. Friend, I'll tell you something you may feel already. Unless your relationship with God is correctly positioned, you will forever be trying to establish your identity by how you find acceptance from the other people in your life network. Yeah? And what good is that to you when they too are looking in a distorted mirror of other people's acceptance and expectations and ideals? But what you need is a true, objective opinion from the God who created you in His image and who knows you through and through. But I get it. Sometimes you're afraid of how you think God might feel about you and see you. Maybe many people think, well, if I give God a chance, he'll just condemn and judge me. So they keep him at a distance so that they never have to feel that way. Well, to be fair, the Bible does say that anyone who refuses to declare Jesus as Savior and Lord chooses to be an enemy in their own minds and in their behavior to God. But the Bible is equally clear, probably even more resoundingly clear, about how to change that forever. Welcome God into your life by placing your faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Invite Him into the center of everything, not an add-on, but the center of everything about you. That's how you change that. And here's why that's important. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. It is in Christ Jesus that you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. What that means, dear friends, is that when God looks on you, He no longer sees an enemy. Now He sees the righteousness of His Son in you. By placing your faith in Christ, it's like you have clothed yourselves with Jesus. You have taken on his status as a righteous son of God. And that now makes you part of his family. Clothed with Christ, God now considers you a child. His child. How could that be true of you? Well, listen to this. Galatians 4, 4-7. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. 
In the world of the Bible, in Jewish circles especially, the inheritance of the family was passed on through the firstborn son. Sorry, that's just the way it was. And Paul's not trying to justify that here. He's just drawing a parallel saying that through faith in Jesus, you are not only clothed with Christ, you've been adopted into the family of God, into his family as a son. Meaning that you gain the same status as the firstborn son of God. You get the same benefits and inheritance as Jesus. Yeah? You get the privilege of calling God your Abba Father. You know, if you go to Jerusalem and you walk through the streets, you might hear a child call out to his father, Abba, Abba. Abba means daddy. It's an intimate term. Do you claim Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? Have you brought him into the center of your life to be the center of your life and all that you are? If you have, then you are adopted into his family as a son. Everything Abba Father would give to Jesus, he gives to you. He is your heavenly father, and that makes you an heir of the kingdom of God. And if that's true of you, why would you and I determine our worth based on how we get our acceptance from the people in our life network? You don't need their acceptance. You are a child of the living God, clothed in the righteousness and life of Jesus, an heir to the kingdom of heaven. That's you through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is now both your Lord and he's even your brother. Did you know that? Hebrews 2, 11, both the one who makes people holy, Jesus, and those who are made holy, us, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Oh, if you could really just get a grip on this righteousness that you have now in Christ, because of Christ, clothed with Christ. Righteousness, being made right, is your new position, your new standing, your new status before the Father. He accepts you unconditionally, unashamedly. He loves you. He accepts you. You are accepted by God and he makes you righteous by clothing you with the righteousness of his own son. So please stop seeing yourself by what you used to be. Start seeing yourself by what he did for you. Learn to wake up like that every single day by being accepted by God. Learn to wake up being a child of God. Learn to start calling God your father. Abba, Father. Because until you do, you will not be able to minister to the people in your life network well. How do you minister to broken people who are far from God when, when you don't know how you are or who you are in Christ? It's going to be real hard. How do you parent kids to become confident, worth understanding their worth in Christ, unless you know that for yourself? How do you parent and raise kids who are confident in their relationship with Jesus when you're still trying to gain your acceptance from other people in your life network rather than God? This is probably one of the biggest lessons that we can learn, not just as Christians, but as parents, as grandparents. See, we try to live and we try to raise our kids in a society that has been 
conform to the pattern of this world. Patterns that aim to keep God at a distance. At not only at a distance, but on the outside, as far outside as it possibly can be. Patterns that aim to be, that are motivated by selfishness and rebellion against God. And those patterns are then manipulated by the devil. And yes, there is a very real devil out there. And here's the thing, if the devil can get you to deny or forget who God saved you to be, if he can get you obsessed about finding your identity and value and acceptance in the world, then he knows that he can get you to stop ministering to your life network. Why? Because you'll become so obsessed with yourself that you'll not have anything to give to other people. And he knows it. And he knows if he can just absorb you into the world and the people and, and allow the people that he's manipulated around you to absorb you, then he can ruin your godly influence there. He can ruin everything amongst your family, your friends, your work, your church, your world, and so on. That's all he wants to do, in fact. Now, if you're a child of God, Satan can't take away your salvation. But you know what he can do? He can rob you of believing who you are in Christ. And if he can convince you that you need to get your acceptance from people rather than Christ in you, then he can slowly spread his message. And he can slow then the spread of the kingdom of God in this world by distracting those who can minister for him, for the Lord. And that's what his plan is. That's all he wants to do. That's all he can do to you. It is his master plan to get you so absorbed in the world, seeking other people's acceptance and approval, that you miss out on everything that God has for you. So friends, from what we've learned so far, how do you live accepted so that you can minister acceptance to others? There's a few points. Number one is this. Learn to speak loudly the truth that God always accepts and treats you as his child. Learn to speak loudly the truth that God always accepts and treats you as his child. God's word says if you proclaim Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then God accepts you as his family. You are a child of God. He is your Abba, Father. So let him father you. Let him father you. Learn to snuggle up close to him in his word, to listen to him tell you how he really feels about you. And moms, listen, your kids are listening closely to the way that you talk about yourself. Grandma, you too. And moms, learn to vocalize loudly how God sees you, not how you see you, not how others see you. Learn to vocalize loudly how God sees you. Don't shame yourself. Don't devalue yourself. Wake up loved and accepted by your heavenly Father every day. Tell your kids, hey guys, you know what I learned today from Abba? From our heavenly Father? Write out those truths in prominent places throughout your home every day for people to see. A scripture you might be familiar with in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It goes like this. A command is given first from the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We might remember that. Jesus repeated that. It's part of the Hebrew Shema. Take to heart then, he says, these words that I give you today. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them 
when you're at home or away from home, when you lie down or get up. Write them down. Tie them around your wrist and wear them as headbands. Modern translation, ball caps as a reminder. Put it on a t-shirt. Get your cricket out and do something with it. Write them on the doorposts, the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Mommy, mommy, what's that bracelet on your wrist for? Oh, sweetie, it's a circle. And it reminds me that Jesus is the center of my life. It's red because Jesus loves me so much. And I don't ever need to doubt that, and neither do you. And it reminds me that the people in my life need to hear that too, just like you do. I got a text early this morning from from Vera telling me of her condition in the hospital, and she said that she has her bracelet, and she's just twirling it on her wrist saying, God loves me, and that lifts her up and encourages her. So mama, grandmama, learn to speak loudly the truth about how God thinks and feels about you. And you don't need to wait for your little ones to be able to speak. Start early. They're listening. They got big ears, these kids. Read the scriptures out loud to them. Maybe even just spontaneously throughout the day, just shout out in a loud voice, God made me alive in Christ today. He has forgiven my sins. He has taken them away by nailing them to the cross. Hallelujah. Thank you, Abba. Sing worship songs all the time. Play Christian music in the car instead of worldly, secular music. You, you don't think that your kids are absorbing the values and the, wor- the worldview of the world by those songs? Absolutely they are. They're not too little to know. Remember, that's the devil's master plan, right? To just absorb you, absorb your kids into the world's values? Your kids and grandkids, if that's the stage of life that you're at, they need you to voice, to, they need your voice to be louder than the voice of the world and the enemy around them. So learn, learn to say loudly what God really feels about you. Number two, learn to recognize the voice of the world and the enemy. Learn to recognize the voice of the world and the voice of the enemy. How do you do that? Well, anytime you hear a voice that tries to tell you that God doesn't accept you, doesn't love you, doesn't forgive you, is shaming or condemning, Any voice that says you're worthless or ugly or hopeless, that's the voice of the world and at best or at worst the enemy. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 tells us what the devil's really like and and it's a command to us. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith. I've heard people say, oh, he roars like crazy, but he has no teeth. You know what? The devil has teeth. I've seen it in my own kids. I've seen it in my grandkids already. I've seen it in other people's kids especially. But the devil does have teeth. He can bite into someone and not let go. So be alert. Be sober-minded. Stand firm in your faith. Do whatever you have to do to help yourself and your kids learn to distinguish the voice of God from the voice of the enemy. We need to stop letting life and others speak louder than the truth of God's word. We need to learn how to live this truth and not by the lies and the labels that the world around us wants to drop on us. 
Moms, when you hear your kids say these things, condemning words, shaming words, you need to see when they're discouraged and you need to stop them and tell them loudly that those discouraging words that they're hearing in their minds aren't the words of their heavenly father. Abba doesn't speak like that to us. And then reinforce how Abba thinks and feels about them truly because that's all that matters. And that's how you train yourself and your little ones to recognize the voices of the world and the voice of the enemy. Number three, parent your kids the way God, Abba, parents you. I'm going to say something about your kids. Hold on to your seat. Your kids are born into Adam. Let me tell you what that means. Romans 5, 19, For just as through their disobedience, the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, many will be made righteous. That means that your kids are naturally, in Adam, self-centered and self-loving beings. If you've had kids, you know this. They're born that way. They're cute as a peach, but they're not innocent. Why do you think we have this universal stage called the terrible twos? I think if you have a two-year-old, you should just stay out of grocery stores, or you'll be sorry. Their impulse is going to be to please themselves, always. And unless they are born again by accepting Jesus as their own personal Lord and Savior, they will continue along the path of that old nature in Adam. It's true. What kids need is not more YouTube or kids' cartoons. They need the nurture and the guidance of someone who knows who they are in Christ. That's you. Someone who will invite them early into a transforming relationship with Jesus and do that daily if you have to. The only one of them, the only one who can help them understand the one who makes them righteous and help them to obey. Then they will need to learn to speak loudly the truth about how God feels about them. They'll need to see your modeling, but they will also need then for you to teach them how to accept the Bible's truth as their truth. Not just one truth, but as the truth, the way and the life. And they will need, to help you, they will need you to help them recognize the voice of the enemy and the world so that they can discern the difference between God's voice and the, and the condemning voices of the world. They need you to protect their sensitive, impressionable minds by controlling the relationships that they have in their own life network. You don't know how many pe- kids we prayed out of Jared's life, my second-born son. Jared was highly impressionable, and he had kids in his school, in his life, in his neighbors that were not good for him. And we prayed those kids out. We kept Jared away from them by making excuses for other events and activities that we could do other than that until they just kind of petered out. You need to protect their sensitive, impressionable minds by controlling the relationships that they have in their own life network. And that means keeping them off of social media for as long as you can. Even adults don't know how to control themselves on social media and the internet. But you must control your own exposure to it. 
if you don't want to be manipulated and shaped by it, and your kids are watching how much time and value you place on your cell phone. It doesn't matter how little they are. They get it. Know what your kids are watching on TV and in video games and on their cell phones. And maybe don't even let them have a cell phone until they're at least driving age. What else do they need one for? Know what your kids are watching. Know what they're doing. Call me old and paranoid. I don't care. I am. But if, you're an, if, you're, if you have kids, and if you're my age or older, then you probably remember a pre-internet world. It was genuinely better and less pornographic and more connected and safer and happier than it is today, isn't it? For all the benefit the internet has given us and social media, I'd go back 30 years ago easy. So why not just keep, them, keep all that away from them for as long as you can? You will be doing them a, a service. And I get it, they're going to complain and they're going to whine and they're going to tell you that their kids, their friends all have it. I get that. My kids did it too. But listen, they're not your friend. Your kids are not your friend. You are their parent. That's a big distinction to learn. It will put you in a better place to be able to bring discipline into their lives. Hebrews 12, 10 says, God teaches us discipline for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time for us or our kids, but painful. But later on, however, it produces a, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline in your kids' lives is a good thing. Not just a finger-wagging kind of discipline, but disciplined living. They may not appreciate it now, but they will. What they also don't get is the pull of the world on them. The pull of the devil and, the and how much control he actually has in this world. For now. And all he wants, this devil, is to seduce your kids and keep them self-centered and rebellious. And where do you think he can do that best? Away from your influence on social media and the internet and television. I know, I'm old-fashioned. I'm a curmudgeon, but that's okay. But you want them to follow your example, not the world's example. And when you look at the world around you today, it's very easy to say that, see that kids of all ages, even adult kids, but kids are easy pickings. So somebody needs to change that. Christ-centered parenting can change that. For the sake of the next generation, for the sake of your own kids. So parent your kids the way God parents you. Help them learn to recognize the voice of the world and the enemy so that they'll be able to understand and know the voice of God better. But most importantly, help them to learn to speak loudly the truth that God always accepts them and treats them as his own kids. Because when they learn to hear the voice, the loving, accepting voice of God over the condemning, shaming voices of the world and the enemy, they'll want God's truth every time. And then they'll be able to minister acceptance. You'll train them to be able to minister acceptance to their own life network. Let's pray. Father, thank you for not just the moms here today, not just the parents here today, but all of us have a big influence on the next generation. 
Help us, Lord, to live disciplined lives. Help us, Lord, to do what is necessary to empty our lives of the voices of the world that speak condemning, shaming, value-decreasing words to us. And help us, Lord, instead to accept the better word of your word as our truth for living. I pray that you help all the mums. I know motherhood is exhausting. It's tiring. For Mother's Day, maybe all they wanted was a nap. But I pray, Lord, that you would give them the great gift today of recognizing the eternal impact that their precious lives can have on their precious little ones. Help them, Lord, to stand strong in their faith and help all of us, the dads in their lives, the granddads in their lives, the grandmothers in their lives, the church, to be able to encourage the moms of this generation. It is hard to parent today. So help us, Lord, as a church to always be encouraging, to bring the better word, to help them in times where they have forgotten the better word or can't get to the better word, to remind themselves of it. But Lord, bring to their minds daily all the scriptures that they have already learned about you, how, they, how you are a great father who loves us unconditionally, a father that we can honor and hallow above all things. Lord, bless the mothers of our church. I know that sounds like such a random or generic blessing, but it is a blessing for them today that they would leave here today knowing that they are daughters of God and that they are not only your kids, but they are heirs to the eternal promises of the kingdom of heaven. Bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.